We have come as far as verses 16 and 17. Um, Jesus had said to Nicodemus in this dialogue, verse 12, If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And certainly 16 and 17, he's going to begin to do that in remarkable ways, tell us heavenly things. No man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, remarkably, he says to Nicodemus, which is in heaven. Nicodemus, as we're standing here talking, I came down from heaven, but I'm still in heaven. You can't remove that. What a remarkable statement. And as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness, so must, that's our two must here, verse 7, you must be born again here, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, the cross, obviously, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then as we get to verse 16, some scholars try to say, quote-unquote scholars, that uh, it's the end of Jesus speaking and John begins to speak there. Uh, none of your good grammarists agree with that. There's no reason in the world why John would talk about the only begotten when Jesus is the only one who talks about the only begotten, why John would insert certain things here. He says nowhere else. It just is not consistent at all with what's going on, plus the grammar connects it with what is said before that. And so Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even must the Son of Man be lifted up. The reason that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Motive now, for God so loved the world. That's why all this has happened. This is what Jesus is saying. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, we read that probably a text that we are uh, more familiar with than any text in the Bible in some ways. Uh, I remember Chuck in the last interview he did, somebody asked him what, what's the most important verse in the Bible. He said, for God so loved the world, he gave his own, he quoted the verse. Uh, I think, you know, for years watching Billy Graham, how many tens of thousands of people he saw come to Christ using this verse, remarkably. Martin Luther said it's like milk and honey, this verse, the way it flows. Again, on his deathbed, his last breath, Martin Luther was saying, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. This verse was on his lips. Jesus here begins to tell us some remarkable things. He tells us about God's love. He tells us what that love is like. He tells us the motive behind the love. He tells us who that love is for. He tells us that love is expressed in the gift that was given. He tells us the power and the assurance that we have because of that gift. And he takes away every excuse from every one of us to think, well, I'm not included. Yeah, I know God sent his son, but man, I mess up all the time. Uh, it's not for me. Or 
yeah, you know, I, I hear that, but he wouldn't have said whosoever he thought I was going to try to take him up on it. You know, he just, you know, he removes all of that. All of those things are gone. And his challenge to us is to believe, to trust in, to rest upon, to put your weight upon. And he says, believe in me. In is more properly, ice the way it's written, is towards or into. So all of your weight, all of your trust into, towards him. Certainly there's, a, a, there's the initial experience of regeneration, but that's something then we grow in, in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here he begins to say four, connecting into the idea that God doesn't want us to perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The, the emphasis there is not for God so loved. The emphasis right there is not on what's emphatic in that first part of it is, but it's rather, but God so loved, which then quantifies and qualifies that love. This is the love of God that the Son is talking about here. And the death of Jesus on the cross is going to be the supreme demonstration of that love. And it's interesting here, he says, God so loved, uh, it's fascinating to me, probably not to you, but it's an erudist, it's active, and it's called constative. The idea is it's an established fact. It's a historical reality. Eridist is it took place and it stands that way today. It is an accomplished fact that God so loved that he sent. What it's telling us is there was established already the truth of the fact. It was an accomplished act that God loved. That had to be before the sun came. The idea is that love goes back into eternity, and it manifests in Bethlehem of Judea. That, that God so loved, that fact was established. It was in eternity that he gave his only begotten. Then we come to Bethlehem, where that love then is manifest in that sense. So it's a historic fact manifested, accomplished, the way it uses the word love there. First um, John will say this to us in chapter 4. <clears throat> he will say, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. John would say, behold, what manner of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, the sons of God. It's behold, what, what manner there and behold, what foreign love the father's given to us. It's foreign to any love that we understand or even can measure and the fact that Jesus uses it in the tense that he does, he understands all of that, you know. Uh, he says this love of God is an accomplished historical fact. It's a reality. And it goes back to eternity. 
and it comes to the point where Christ is born in Bethlehem. You know, we, we at, at Christmas time talk about the fact to us a child is born, a son is given. A child is born is Bethlehem, a son is given is eternity. It speaks of his preexistence from another place, from another time. Here, he says, God so loves that the world, loved the world. Now, it doesn't say he loves the world. He does in, his, in the sense that, first of all, he loves you and I. He loves his redeemed, his children, his bride. And God loves his creation. Whenever John uses the word world, he uses the same word in all, all different places. And with John, it's always the context that determines that. Um, he says, any man who has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and doesn't try to help, how does the love of Christ dwell in him? And there he's talking about this world's goods. He's talking about the material world, material things that we might own in that context. And then he, sa he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, because if you love the world, the, the, there's no room for the love of the Father in you. There he says, not to love the world. He's talking about this love, not to love this world of human degradation, morality, the soup of human sin that we live in the middle of, that some people are trying to find themselves comfortable. He says to believers, don't love the world. But then here it says, God so loved the world. The world he told us not to love. No, no. Here the, the idea is God so loved the world of humankind, of humanity. And it's, it's amazing as we look at it and realize, yeah, God loves us today, but this is saying that he loved us. Romans says this, God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says when we were at enmity with God, he loved us. So that's the idea here. God so loved an accomplished fact. It's the reason he sent his son. That love for the world of humankind was in the heart of the father before the son was manifest. And it's the reason that his son was manifest. The amazing thing about that love is it's while we were at enmity with him. We were enemies. We were sinners. And, and his love was intent and determined and purposeful before Christ came to Bethlehem. That's what he's telling us here. God loves that way. The scope of his love, he says, is the world, the world of mankind. The expression of his love is that he gave. He gave his only begotten. He, he gave his best. He didn't hold anything back. You know, sometimes, you know, husband and a wife, we, you, you know, might, there's an argument because you feel like they're holding something back. Or, you know, God held nothing back. He gave his best. And if he gave his best, the, the rationale is how will he not, de how will he deny us? You know, he won't deny us anything else freely if he's given his best already. That's the expression of it. The design of it, there was a purpose in all of that, and it is that we should not perish. That's his will. He doesn't want us to perish. Jeremiah 31 says he loved us with an everlasting love. And here it tells us the reason that that love broke into human time 
is because he didn't want us to perish. And the way he expressed that love was through the giving of his son. So you have this purpose that we wouldn't perish. Look, what he's saying here is that the sinner and the Savior suit each other. We go together. Too many times we think, I'm a sinner, he don't want nothing. No, no, no. No, he's the perfect one for you. you here's our equation. You provide the sinner. Is that hard for you? He provides the Savior. This is it. And, and when the sinner meets the Savior, everything is settled. You provide the sinner. If you don't know where to find one, go home, look in the mirror, and come back next week and present the, <laughs> present the sinner. And God presents, he loved, he gave. And that giving had to take place in another place. It was manifest here. Christ says, a body thou hast prepared for me, sacrifice and offerings thou would not. But a body you fitted me for, literally. So when God, the Savior, man, the sinner come together, it settles it. And look, our forgiveness has to be a perfect forgiveness. We have to be perfectly saved. That tells us our contribution and its context. If we have to be perfectly saved, then you can't bring anything to the table. You can't add anything. There's no perfection on your end. Perfection is on his end. This is his perfect plan that he so loved the world in eternity while we were sinners at enmity with him that he gave his only begotten, one of a kind. Nothing like it. There's no category that establishes this son. He, he is the only begotten, unique, one of a kind. He gave him perfectly so that we could be perfectly saved. How could sin and holiness abide together? That's what it's telling us now, that it brings the sinner and the Savior together. It's impossible to the human mind because God's justice demands the condemnation of sin. And if love, the love of God, will save the sinner, it must do so at a divine cost that's required and satisfies the very heart of God. The manifestation of the love of God in this verse is what sets Christianity aside from every other religion on planet Earth. This love sets Christianity aside from every other religious form on the planet. There are many where you're self-disciplined, where you're applying yourself, where you're disciplining yourself, or if you do this or if you do that. There are many Systems that know nothing of a God of love. It's constantly, he can do this, he can do that. He's a God of death, he's a God of war, whatever it may be. This verse and this truth is what sets what we believe, Christianity, aside from every other religious system in the world. You don't have to meditate to get there. You don't have to keep your diet to get there. Nicodemus didn't get there. 
You don't have to serve because God is, a, is an awesome, powerful, vindictive God. You only have to do one thing. You provide the sinner. That sets our religion aside from every other one on the planet. You show up. What's your contribution? Moi. The mess, the filth, the sinner. The one, it's an enemy with God. At enmity with God. That's your provision. That's what you bring to the table. And because God brings his own son and his own love to the table, in his contribution there has to be a payment that satisfies divine justice relative to sin. So Jesus tells us here that he has given the gift that he gave is his only begotten, and again, that mandates pre-existence. This is an act that took place in another world. When God gave his son, it wasn't when he showed up here. He showed up here because God gave him. This is an act of Almighty God that took place in another world that was manifest here. The consideration of time here is inadequate. It's, it, it's, it's not relative. God, in his love, gave in eternity his only begotten. We know the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. It, that love is manifest in Bethlehem when that Messiah, when his son is born and puts on human flesh. Well, how am I to know that applies to me? <clears throat> you're listening, you know, online or you're sitting somewhere or you feel like, okay, it's great. I know God's so love that world. He gave his only begotten son. But, you know, it doesn't relate to me. I'm messed up. How am I supposed to know that he loves me? You know, how's this thing fit? Look, there's two words here that mandate you being part of the process. One is world. The other one's whosoever. He came, God so loved the world, first of all, you got to, if you're sitting here in church or listening on some kind of device, I hate to tell you, you're in the world. This is the world, unless you came from another world, and I know sometimes you think you know people that must have come from another world, but you, you didn't. So your, your origin is proper to receive his love. If you're of this world, I don't want to hear it. Don't come up after church and tell me you're from another world. Tell Jerry. He'll be up here. <clears throat> but if you're of this world, that puts you in a position of being under God's love. But he didn't mean me. No, no. Whosoever assuredly means anybody. And it's singular. Whosoever. Everyone. Anybody. If you're here this morning, you're an Anybody. You're in anybody. I ain't anybody. Told you. You're in anybody. You ain't a somebody. You're in anybody. Those two phrases, the world and whosoever, include us all as the recipients, potential recipients, of this love of God manifest in the giving of his Son. 
immeasurable, immeasurable. If all the world is the scope, then we're in that, and everyone, it can't exclude us. There's no way that we can be excluded. And he says the reason he does that is because he doesn't want us to perish. Just, and but receive everlasting life. Should not perish, but receive that, the word that way, that word, the grammar there, but receive everlasting life sets the greatest contrast that the, that the grammar can, can contrast, but receive everlasting eternal life. In contrast, thou shalt not perish. So if the life you're to receive is everlasting, the perishing is also everlasting. And look, the church is filled with people today that don't want to hear about eternal punishment. Don't use the H word or the S word sin. You know, just, you know, we don't want to hear, how can God be a God of love and, uh, and send people to hell forever? He don't send anybody. The only one he sent was his son into the world to prove his love. Well, I'm not worried because it doesn't really mean eternal. Well, it's funny. That word eternal is translated eternal. It's translated everlasting. And it's used 70 times in the New Testament. And it's used in context to these words. Everlasting fire, eternal life, everlasting punishment, eternal damnation, everlasting habitations, Everlasting God, we know that's everlasting. Eternal weight of glory, everlasting destruction, everlasting consolation, eternal glory, eternal salvation, eternal judgment, eternal redemption, the eternal spirit, eternal inheritance, everlasting kingdom, and eternal fire. When it talks about the eternal state, it's saying God doesn't want mankind to be in the state of perishing. It's, it's worse than what you and I can imagine. Eternal burning in outer darkness where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not and the teeth, there's crying and gnashing of teeth. For, that's unimaginable. It's unimaginable to me. You know, the person that bothers me the most in human history or in the world today, I can't wish hell on them more than a day. (laughs) You know, I I just can't do that. Uh, It's unimaginable to think of what that would go on and 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 on. You know, know, I'm selfish enough. Sometimes I think, Lord, if this person is not going to get saved, why don't you just take them now? I mean, it's eternity. It won't make any difference a day here or a day there, you know. But this is being saved from an eternal state of perishing. It can only happen through the love of God. He didn't send his son, verse 17, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. His motive. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world, first of all, is already condemned. The world deserves to be condemned. God has the right to do that, but he didn't need to do that. That was already functioning. What he needed to do was procure redemption for us, justification for us. 
he needed to do those things. In verse 17 says, to do that, for God sent not, it wasn't the reason, he didn't send his son in the world, condemn the world. I mean, you, you, you hear sometimes Christians, you, that's what it sounds like they're telling everybody. You know, the, the, the crazy thing is, so much of the church today, you know, is divided over politics. What a shame it was to watch that even amongst you in the last election. So much of the church today is divided over race. Now it's vaxxed and unvaxxed. You think if you get any of these things right, the world's going to be fixed? There's one thing that matters. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's for whosoever, not any tribe, not any nation, not any family, not any particular group of people. It's for whosoever. That's our destiny. We're the whosoever's. And we're going to be together forever. And the rest of the world right now is unraveling. It's coming apart. Don't want to turn the news on. Don't want to watch that unless I can watch 43 miles of truckers in Canada. That's kind of, I've watched that for an hour or so. You know, but there's nothing to watch, right? The world's falling apart. Who do you believe? Who don't you believe? What nation do you trust? What nation don't you trust? Who do you trust in Washington? Who don't you trust in Washington? All of that's unraveling. It doesn't matter. What matters is we trust God's love manifest towards us through the giving of his only begotten son. And what he asked of us is that we would believe, we would lean on, we would take hold in our hearts. This is mine. I trust you, God. This is what you're offering. I don't deserve it. He says, fine, you provide the sinner, I'll provide the Savior. And he does that, and that's unshakable. That's the one thing in this world that isn't unraveling. It's not falling apart. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, the gospel of Jesus Christ is becoming more and more beautiful as I watch this world become more and more, you know, despicable. And he's coming for us. We're getting out of here. And this world that's driving us crazy is the world that God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believed, that's how we got in. But now that we're in, blow the trumpet, Lord, and end it, you know. <laughs> that whoever would believe will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's his motive. That's why he's doing what he's doing. And every reason the world should be judged Giving the Son is holy an act of God's love. Again, how seriously the God takes sin? Look at what it cost him. That's how seriously he takes sin. He wants the world turning to him to be saved. You know, John takes us through so many of those circumstances. Most of you know, I remember, again, years ago, my own son bleeding out in front of me. Joshua. And it kind of sticks with you when you watch that, blood out over half of his blood. I thought he was gone for sure. And I know I'd have done anything I could have done to stop that. 
if it was in my power. But God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He saw him thirsty, he saw him tired, he saw him betrayed. The eternal, glorious one. He listened to him in Gethsemane, say, Father, if there's any other way. And again, heaven was silent. Three times he asked. At one point, Heaven sends an angel to strengthen him that he might agonize as he's sweating great drapes of blood. But there's, he's taken from there to the hall of the high priest where he's beaten beyond human recognition. He's spit upon. The beard is ripped out of his face. And if that was my son, I'd have done anything I could to have stopped that. And heaven doesn't answer her. He's taken there from there to the Romans, of course, where he is scourged. The skin is taken off down to the bones. He's mocked. He's beaten. Crown of thorns put on his head, and heaven is silent. I've done, I've done anything I could have to save my son. And as he's being nailed to the cross... He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. It's actually as, as, as he's being no, nailed. It's in the process that he says that. And he says it more than once from the tenses. The last thing he says is, Father, in thy hands I commend my spirit. But in the middle of it all, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The only time in the Gospels he calls him God is there. He calls him Father when he starts the cross, calls him Father when he ends the cross. But in the middle, because God laid on him the iniquity of us all, because he's bearing your sin and my sin, he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sin of the world upon him. Then heaven answers, no doubt with eternal fire. Paul says, and John says, he was the propitiation for our sins. The place where God's eternal wrath was satisfied was on his own son. With the iniquity of us all upon him. And heaven that had remained silent. God watching his son go through all of that at that point fires down eternal fire. Perishing. Eternal fire. I remember saying, Lord, you know, Josh, I can still smell the blood, Lord. I still see the inside of the van covered with blood. I got home from the hospital a couple days later because he almost bled out in the front of the van. Judy opened the door and just started to weep. There was blood everywhere. It was unbelievable. And then you sit with the Lord kind of after they say, Lord, you, you realize, I realize you can touch the most precious thing in my life. and You're still God. It's really hard. But... Lord, I can't forget the smell. I can't forget the sight of it. I can't forget. I can't get it out of my mind. And he said to me, neither can I forget 
my Joshua bleeding out for you. Because I so love the world, I gave my only begotten Son. That whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world. He sent his Son into the world that we might be saved. Amen. What a God we serve. Let's stand. Let's pray. Look, and if you've never come to Christ, it's amazing you're here on a bitter cold day uh, this early in the morning. But if you've never come to Christ, uh, I encourage you when the service is over, make your way up. We'd love to give you a copy of Scripture, the Bible. Love to chat with you and pray with you. All God requires, he's done everything on his end, is that we believe. We lean upon. We take our trust off of ourselves and we put it upon his sacrifice. If you're from this world and you're in anybody, it's for you. Don't turn away. Father, we settle these things before you. We're thankful for your love, Lord. Your kindness, Lord, in this verse, Lord, it just has floated through the church for 2,000 years, Lord. It has touched so many lives. It's become the epicenter of so much about what we love and believe. Lord, it's a lens that we see you in a thousand different ways, but all of them, Lord, hues of your power and of your love. And Lord, we pray as your sons and daughters that it would become deeper, Lord, for each of us more beautiful, more tender, more desirable. Lord, we pray for any unbeliever that heals. Here's, Lord, they would realize they're included. It's a reaching out to them, to their lives, wherever they are, in their filth and their unbelief and their sin and their brokenness and their abuse and their abusing. That it reaches to them. that you've loved them with an everlasting love. So, Lord, let your word do its work, Lord. It accomplishes. It divides down between soul and spirit. It's effectual. You tell us that. Let it be that way, Lord, here in the sanctuary and wherever, Lord, uh, people may hear this verse, Lord. Let it be effectual. And Lord, we bring our hearts before you today. Father, we love you. We thank you for the greatest gift, Lord, given ever. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.